Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here's your host, Rob Dalrymple. Today's podcast is from a sermon I delivered on the book of Acts. I hope you enjoy. If you have your Bibles open on the book of Acts, we're going to be around page 781. I'll start in chapters 13 and 14 briefly. And then we'll be reading from Acts chapter 15 in just a few moments. One of the beautiful things about the book of Acts, and even the Bible as a whole, is that it shows that the church is not perfect. Luke didn't endeavor to go out and say, hey, let me tell you about this perfect church, this perfect community, and how it's supposed to be done. And then we just need to emulate it, and every church is supposed to be perfect. And then when we're not perfect, we're like, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to do? No, the church in the book of Acts is not perfect either, folks. So welcome to the club, because that's just the way it is. Paul and a man named uh, Barnabas begin traveling around the Aegean Sea area, as we saw a little bit on that video um, uh, uh, earlier in the service. And they began traveling around. Oh, here we go. It's not working, James. Oh, there it is. All right, it's good. Um, uh, They they left uh, Antioch. They traveled around to the island of Cyprus on their first journey to Perga and Pamphylia, uh, then to Pisidian Antioch, and then the cities of Iconium, Lystra, and Derb. And this is probably the region of southern Galatia. So the book of Galatians was probably written to the churches in Iconium, Lystra, and Derb. Paul, who was formerly known as Saul, uh, formerly was a persecutor of the church, opposed Christianity violently. He was a Jewish leader in Jerusalem who staunchly opposed Christianity, but Jesus appears to him and says, Paul, I'm the Lord Jesus Christ whom you are persecuting, and Paul becomes a Christian. Barnabas, we're told in chapter 4 of the book of Acts, or chapter 5, was a Jew from the island of Cyprus. So it's interesting to note that when Paul and Barnabas leave on their first journey, the first place they go is Cyprus. Barnabas is like, hey, that's my home. Let's, can we go there? I know people. We, we might have a place to stay. Uh, I know the language. I know the culture. It's a, it's a good place to start. And Barnabas says, let's go there. Barnabas, we're told, his actual name was Joseph. You see, Bar-Nabas means son of, Bar means son of, son of encouragement. Barnabas was this encouraging kind of guy. So Paul and Barnabas go on this missionary journey, and they also bring along with them a man named Mark. Now his name is actually John, but there's so many Johns, we're like, you know what, we're going to call you Mark. So he's called John Mark, but he ends up going by the name of Mark. Mark is likely the cousin or nephew, well, he's, he's either the cousin or nephew, I think he's the nephew of Barnabas. He appears to be a generation younger, so maybe... Maybe Paul and Barnabas are early 40s by this point in time, and, and Mark might be in his 20s at this point in time. But Barnabas says, hey, let's take our, my cousin with us, and Mark goes with him also. However, they had some frightful experiences on the island of Cyprus. They, they met a sorcerer, and it didn't go too well, and perhaps that's the reason why, but ultimately we don't know why. But when they got to Perga and Pamphylia here on the coast, about to head into Pisidia and then over to Galatia, Mark decides to go home. Mark leaves them. We don't know exactly why Mark left them. He just simply did. Now, as they continue on, they begin, as we saw in the video, they're preaching to the Jewish people in the synagogues. Many of them are becoming Christians. Some of them are not. The ones who are not are kind of upset with Paul and Barnabas because well, you're teaching foreign customs and new things. What are you doing? And they cause some problems and some, and, and, and some havoc. In the meantime, Paul and Barnabas then spend the rest of the week, Saturday in the synagogue, the rest of the week in the marketplace preaching to Gentiles, non-Jews, and, and, and telling them about Jesus. And, and the, the world is becoming Christian. 
And the gospel's flourishing. However, it's not without difficulties. Uh, over in Iconium and Lystra, Paul is stoned and left for dead. And when you read Acts 14, it, it seems like he actually is dead. Paul was stoned to death. And then he rises from the dead and comes back, and, and, and they, they just go on their journey. Hey, what's the next city, guys? And they go on to the next city. Over in the city of Lystra, we find out later from reading, reading the New Testament on this first journey that a man named Timothy, for whom the books 1 and 2 Timothy were written to, becomes a Christian also. Now, Timothy's a young man. So on the second journey, when Paul and, Barnabas take, when Paul and Silas take off later, Timothy begins to join Paul on that, on that journey about three or four years later. Timothy's a, a young convert. He's Jewish, though his father was Greek. And because of that, he was not circumcised. So he's kind of Jewish, but not quite Jewish. But nonetheless, Timothy becomes a Christian. Now, all this is fine and dandy, except the Jews were having trouble, as we discussed last week, with this new Christian stuff. It's like, well, you know, wait a minute, what, what are you doing? You're telling us that we don't have to be circumcised any longer. You're telling us that, that we can eat with Gentiles. You're telling us that we can, we can eat these foods that, that, that were forbidden for us. You're telling us we don't have to go to the temple any longer, that we don't have to sacrifice anymore, that we don't have to celebrate the Passover anymore. All these things that they had grown up with are changing, and, it's, and, it's diff and we don't know what to do. So to Acts chapter 15 now, if you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, let's read and see what happens now. Paul and Barnabas have come back from this first journey. They come back to Antioch, and Acts 15 verse 1 says, Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. Now you might recognize that Antioch is up in the north and Jerusalem is down in the south, and yet they're going down to Antioch and up to Jerusalem, but that's because Jerusalem is always up. It doesn't matter where you're coming from, you always go up to Jerusalem and down from Jerusalem. So they come from Jerusalem to Antioch and they're causing problems. You must be circumcised, which means you must become Jewish. You know, we're okay with this Jesus thing. You know, we kind of get that part. We understand it. But you've still got to follow the law. And if you Gentiles want to be saved, you've got to become Jewish first. And it really is racial superiority. That's, what, that, that's the message. Our race is superior to yours. And if you want to become a follower of Jesus, that's fine. But you've got to become us first. And so Paul and Barnabas come into a sharp dispute. And this is not going to go over well. Verses 3 and 4. Uh, the church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. Remember, Gentiles are non-Jews. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they were reported everything that God had done through them. Verse 5. Then some of the believers, uh, then some of the believers uh, who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Verse 8. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. God did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. 
Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No! We believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Now, you don't know how important this was. It's Peter. You see, it's, you know, Paul, we don't like this Paul guy. You know, Paul used to be one of us, and now he betrayed us, and he went, became a Christian, and, you know, okay, well, I'm a Christian too, and, but, but Paul's the one that's advocating anyone of the Gentiles. Peter's the one that's respected by the Jews. So Peter gets up and says, you know, hey, remember what happened I, you know, in Acts 10, how I was preaching, and before I even gave the altar call, they, the Holy Spirit fell on them, and they became Christians. God has not uh, uh, put a barrier now any longer between Jews and Gentiles. By grace we are saved. Verse 12. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders that God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described, and Simon is, of course, Peter. Uh, Peter has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. Right, let me stop for just a moment. Barnabas and Paul follow Peter's testimony. And again, it's essential that Peter goes first. Because he's got their respect. And, and Peter's the, he's the man, they're going to listen to Peter. Then Barnabas and Paul go on and add to the story about how God did all these wonderful things among the Gentiles. We can't deny what God's done among the Gentiles. Then James speaks up. This is James, the brother of Jesus. He's not one of the original 12 apostles. James, one of the original 12, was killed in Acts chapter 12. This is James, the brother of Jesus, who has become the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And he gets up and says, here's my decision. He's the leader. Whatever he decides, ultimately, it's going to be the, that's just the way it's going to be. The words of the prophets are in agreement with us, he says. Skipping down to verse 19. It's my judgment, therefore that we should not make it more difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, let's write to them and tell them to abstain from foods polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. Here's the conclusion. We cannot add circumcision to the Gentiles as a, as a prerequisite for salvation because it makes two classes of people. It makes the in and the out. Jesus says, all who repent and follow me, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's it. The only requirement is, it's by grace and repentance. And so we're not going to, so we're going to go ahead. And, now we know the Gentiles. See, here's the other thing, and that's this. The Gentiles were known for being very immoral. And so the Jews were like, you know, these guys, they're not only unclean people, but they live unclean lives. So James says, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask them, no more idols. I mean, that's, that's quite biblical. So, we, you know, we understand what you're saying about the Gentiles and how you have a problem with them, but we cannot make circumcision a requirement for salvation. It's by grace and faith in Jesus alone. But we will tell them, no more idols. No more sexual immorality. And no more eating animals if the blood hasn't been properly drained. Now, at least if you're going to eat that food, that even though we won't eat it, you know, drain the blood properly and, and follow and, and, and not offend your Jewish brothers. So they affirm some of the cultural issues. They simply say, it's no longer, we're not going to make it more difficult for the Gentiles to be saved. Now, at this point, all is fine and, and well. 
So Barnabas and Paul begin to say, you know, hey, let's, let's go on another journey. You know, we, got a lot, we can go a lot farther west. I mean, we can go to Ephesus, and eventually we'll make it over to Greece, and eventually we'll make it over to Rome. We need to go on another journey. And they say, no problem at all. And Barnabas says, you know, let's take Mark. All right, Acts 15, verse 36. It says, sometime later, Paul and Barnabas said, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Okay. Problem is, Barnabas says, let's take Mark. Now, if we go back very briefly, we'll stay in Acts 15, but let me put up Acts 13 for a moment. Look what Luke says, Acts 13, verse 13. Paul and his companions set out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, but John, also known as Mark, left them and returned to Jerusalem. So remember earlier I said, they're traveling around, they get up to Perga, and Mark goes home. And Luke doesn't tell us anything at all. He just simply says, John left them and returned to Jerusalem. So now they've come back, they have this council in Jerusalem, they go back to Antioch, and Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas say, let's go on another journey, and Barnabas is like, that's great, but let's take Mark, for Acts 15, verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul didn't think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Now, if we're reading Luke's version, and Luke is the writer of the book of Acts, Luke didn't say that, John, or, or that Mark deserted them. He just simply said he left. But now we recognize that Paul considered it an act of desertion. He, he's too young, Paul says. He can't come with us. He, he can't handle himself. After all, remember after he left, I was stoned and left for dead. Barnabas, I'm worried about my own life. I can't worry about his too. Now Barnabas, the son of encouragement, says what? It's his nephew. He's grown up. He's better. He's, he learned from his experience. He's more mature. He'll be helpful to us. No, Barnabas, I can't take him. Paul, we've got to take him. He's my, you know, I, I can't leave my nephew. Well, I don't care, Barnabas. We can't afford to take him. We, well, our, our, I can't worry about his life and mine. And they're going back and forth and back and forth. And here's what happens. Verse 39. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers for the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. What? I mean, it's, it's one thing when the Jews come up from Jerusalem and they're causing all kinds of problems and, and, and there's a debate. But this is Paul and Barnabas, folks. These are two apostles. And they, they can't get along? They can't agree with each other? What's up? And note again that the, God, that the book of Acts doesn't hide this dispute from us. It puts it right out there in the front. And not only does it not hide from us this, this dispute, but Luke doesn't even attempt to tell us who's right and who's wrong. They had such a sharp disagreement that they couldn't settle it and they just went off. Now, providentially, we might conclude, well, we got two mission trips out of this. I mean, there's, there's your good news. Barnabas and, and, and Mark, they go off back to the island of Cyprus. Remember, the goal was to revisit the churches that they had established on the first journey and then to go off and to go further. Where Barnabas and Mark go from here, we have no idea. 
because Luke begins traveling with Paul. So the book of Acts follows Paul and Silas's journey. They go off back to Iconium and Lystra and Derb, and Timothy joins the gang, and then they go off to Troas, and Luke joins the game, and, uh, and then they go off over to, the, uh, to Macedonia and modern-day Greece. They have such a sharp disagreement that they can't decide what to do. What does this mean for us? A lot. Have you ever been to a, a, a holiday where, you know, someone invited you over, and, you know, uh, uh, maybe for us, uh, all of our kids were away, and so uh, uh, they're going to get together on the, the day after Thanksgiving or the day after Christmas or whatever. So we're going to go over to someone else's house for the holidays, right? You ever been to someone else's house for the holidays? They, sit, they don't know how to do the holidays, do they? <laughs> it, they always do it wrong, right? They either, have, they either don't have this, or, or they, 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 it's like, you, you can't eat that at Thanksgiving. What are you, what are you eating? Right? You know, they, they, you're supposed to have banana cream pie. And, and they don't have it. They have like some other stuff. It's like, you know, it, it's different and it's, and it's challenging. It, it's great to be with others, but it's not the same. It's not the way that your family did it with, when we were, when, you know, my family did it when we were young. We've been talking about in the book of Acts the fact that the church now is composed of black and white, rich and poor, male and female, and creating us into this one family. And it's all great and fine and dandy, yet practically speaking, it's not easy because we all do things differently. We all celebrate the holidays differently. And as a result, conflicts are simply going to be inevitable. And the question is, how do we handle them? Well, here's one solution. It would be nice if we had simple solutions like this, but let's watch this video. I just never thought it could happen to me, to my own family. It just felt like we were trapped in this black hole of anger and resentment. Like the walls were just closing in on me. Like I was in the trash compactor from Star Wars, and I'm Luke Skywalker, and there's Princess Leia, who I don't know is my sister yet, and even though Han Solo's trying his hardest to save us, he's driving me crazy, and then there's Chewie in the corner just going, (laughs) anyway, then the holidays roll around, and it's just like Christmas to bring out the worst in all of us, all those long-standing grudges and unresolved family conflict just seem to rear their ugly heads this time of year, the last thing I wanted to do go to the annual family holiday party. Then my doctor told me about Reconcilosec. Reconcilosec is the safe, easy, and effective way to bring relational reconciliation to you and yours during the chaos that Christmas brings. Reconcilosec is recommended for all occasions where friends and family need a little help getting over those long-held resentments and bitter grudges. Reconcilosec is not for people who are dating or engaged or may become engaged during the holidays. Reconcilosec should never be taken with in-laws. In lab tests, in-laws taking Reconcilosec showed no improvement over those taking a placebo. Relational conflicts involving money or inheritance also showed no improvement. Take Reconcilosec at least 30 minutes before any anticipated conflict. Sharing Reconcilosec with others may increase your chances of reconciliation. So if you're looking for immediate reconciliation with the ones you're supposed to love, Look no further. Ask your doctor if Reconcilosec is right for you. Thank you, Reconcilosec. Ask your doctor about Reconcilosec. Side 
effects may include excessive hugging, chronic hand holding, and inexplicable affection for in-laws, and sloppy kisses for mates and grandma. The exceeding recommended dosage may result in marriage proposals or pregnancy. If you experience reconciliation lasting more than 24 hours, that means the drug is working. Other side effects include dry, headache, diarrhea, diphtheria, vomiting, dizziness, hearing, and nosebleeds, loss of vision, loss of hearing, euphoria, sudden paralysis, leprosy, and play. <laughs> Other than that, it works wonderfully. All right, first thing to notice is this. Is Paul and Barnabas simply don't agree with each other. But they do agree to disagree. Paul probably did not compromise on his conviction that Mark should not come with us. And Barnabas never compromised on his conviction that Mark has grown up and matured and he's ready to handle the, whatever's going to come our, our way. So they separate ways. Paul and Silas go off one direction. Barnabas and Mark go off in another, another direction. And let's learn a few things about what happened when they, when they went off in their different directions. And here's the first thing to understand. When they went off in their different directions, they didn't speak negatively about the other in order to make themselves look good. There's one of the things that we do in conflict. We're going to agree to disagree, but, but over in the, we're going to mumble under our breath, or maybe even not even under our breath, about why we're right and the other person's wrong. You know, uh, no, I, I'm, I'm convinced that this happened, but we can't uh, confirm that this happened, but very likely when Paul enters back into Iconium and Lystra and Derb and Pisidian Antioch, one of the questions that Paul got asked was, where's Barnabas? It's a natural question. Where is he? And, and imagine if Paul said, you know, well, you know what? Uh, he just wouldn't admit that bringing along Mark was a bad call. And remember how much Mark let us down last time? He, you know, so him and, him and Mark went on their way. I, I hope it works out well for them. And you see, it's easy to justify doing that because our human nature is to make ourselves look good. And, or, or better than the other. And in a dispute like this, Paul wants, I want to make myself look like I'm in the right and not him. And so we kind of mumble about how the other person, you know, he's just stubborn. He just won't listen. And you can imagine, by the way, I'm convinced that Barnabas probably was thinking, Paul is stubborn. Yeah. I mean, if, if, I, I think Paul probably was very stubborn. And Barnabas would have been right in saying that. But then imagine now, Timothy, who begins to join with Paul and, uh, with Paul and Silas on the missionary journey. And Timothy's got in the back of his mind that, you know, Barnabas has got a shaky character here. Hey, he, he just, you know, Paul's right because... Because Paul was, let's just say, Paul was speaking negatively about Barnabas. And all of a sudden, now, years later, they get back together. Has Paul, if Paul were to speak negatively about Barnabas, would he undermine Paul's, or Barnabas' ability to minister to Timothy? He would. He would. Or what about Mark? See, here's something interesting. The book of Colossians was written by Paul and Timothy. Colossians chapter 1, verse Paul and Timothy to the church in Colossae. At the end of the book, here's what it says in the greetings. Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. Paul says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas' cousin or nephew, Mark. Mark joins Paul and Timothy later on in Colossae, or in Ephesus, and is doing ministry. So that when Paul writes to the church in Colossae, he says, hey, by the way, Mark sends you his greetings. It's essential now that Paul and Barnabas not only agree to separate ways and agree to disagree, but they don't speak negatively about the other because if they do, they're going to hamper the other person's ability to do ministry and affect maybe even the discipleship of many others. And unfortunately, we see Christians do this all the time, and that's why I hate going on Facebook. 
I, if you go on Facebook, I've got a lot of Christian friends on Facebook, and I, sometimes I, I watch them, I'm like, what are you doing? You're just ripping on this political issue, or that political issue, or, or those who believe this, or those who believe this, or you're so dogmatic on those who think this. And don't you understand that other people are, are listening, they're, they're reading, and they're looking at this, and you're challenging or undermining the way people believe or what people believe. I, I, I experienced this years ago, uh, and there's a lot of theological debates in, in my earlier uh, uh, graduate studies, um, uh, studying the issues of creation and evolution. All right? And we've got all kinds of differences amongst creation and evolution within the church. Some who believe way in the far right that God did it in six 24-hour uh, days, and then he did it 10,000 years ago, no more than 50,000 years ago. Some way over in the far left who believe that God used evolution and the universe is 13.5 billion years old. And then all kinds of perspectives in the middle. And I would hear Christians engaging with one another on different sides of the spectrum. Maybe a Christian says, I believe that God did it, but evolution may or may not have been his process. Or maybe God did it, but he, he, he divinely uh, interceded at various stages, but it happened over billions of years. And then maybe over here on the right, somebody who says, I believe that God did it 6,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago, six 24-hour days, and, and Adam and dinosaurs lived together. But then they would argue with each other and put each other down. On the far right, the person would say, you know, you people over there, you don't, you don't know the Bible. The Bible says this and can only be read this way. And the Bible says Adam's a literal person. And then over on the, far, on the left, the person would go, yeah, but you guys don't know science. Science says this and science says this and you're fools. And they're ripping on each other. Not always in a nice way. And you can see a Christian walking in going, I'm a new Christian. I really don't know what's going on. And I don't know who to believe. And I'm confused. You see, in doing so by handling it in a, in a not nice way, and I've seen it handled in a nice way, but most often, especially in this debate, I've seen it handled in a not nice way. The young Christian walks in and goes, I'm confused, and they leave and they give up. Or maybe the non-Christian is watching, going, you Christians can't even love each other, you, and, and you can't respect each other. You don't know your Bible, or, and you don't know science. Okay, great, you're both wrong. And they abandon any hopes of becoming a Christian. So when we agree to disagree... We have to be careful about speaking negatively about the other and to the other. We must do everything in love. Second thing I think we can learn about conflicts like this is that, we didn't, that they didn't hope that the other one failed. And I see this with churches and pastors and different, you know, different groups that I hang around. Sometimes it, we compare ourselves. right? We compare each other. You know, how big's your church? That's one of the questions everyone asks. How big's your church? Because they want to they see where, where am I at on that, on that totem pole of being a pastor. Imagine if Paul and Silas and Barnabas and Mark were keeping score. How many churches did you plan on that journey? How many people did you baptize? How many, how much, how long? <clears throat> Happens all the time. The reality is, however, it's about the kingdom. What's important is it's about the kingdom. And, and in the kingdom, we can't keep score because the way Jews keep score is actually kind of different. I mean, if it were about keeping score, we would be saying, who has the biggest church? Who has the most followers? But the gospel is about making disciples. And discipleship is actually much more difficult than making, just getting a large crowd. Furthermore, we can't keep score because it's God who convicts the heart. It's God who turns sinners towards him. It's not me or you or this or that. We're part of the process. But we can't take credit for what happens because it's ultimately the, the Lord who convicts, who convicts. And by the way, if we keep score, Jesus was really bad. Think about this. That sounds kind of blasphemous. It's not. Think, when Jesus dies, how many followers does he have? A couple. 
He had thousands and thousands following here and there, but when it comes to the time of the cross, he's got a few. He's got like 11 disciples. Most of them have scattered only ones hanging out at the cross. And a few women. We can't keep score. Even at Pentecost, Jesus only had 120. So keeping score leads us to the wrong focus. The reality is, many people can sway a crowd and gain many followers. But helping people learn to live a life of self-denial and of following Jesus is hard. And only God's the one that's going to keep scoring that. It's about the kingdom. If it's about the kingdom, then we hope that when Paul and Silas went on their way, they really hoped and prayed that Barnabas and Mark would be successful. And that when Barnabas and Mark went off on their missionary journeys, they stopped and prayed that Paul and Silas would be successful. Because it's about the kingdom. And if we define success that way, then God succeeds. Now, let's also go a couple of other steps, and that's this. In terms of reconciliation, uh, one of the things that's important in that is, that, is to forgive, and you will be forgiven. See, Paul and Barnabas didn't just decide to disagree and, and go on, on in a different way, and then harbor a grudge. Because that, of course, would, would minimize and, and, and hinder their own ability to do ministry. But the scripture tells us, forgive, and you should be forgiven. For, uh, Matthew 6, 14 and 15. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Colossians 3, I think, by the way, this passage is really you know, in our face. And, and Paul wrote it. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. It's like, oh, okay. Not optional here. As the Lord forgave you, forgive. And forgiveness, of course, begins with personal repentance. Forgiveness begins here. It begins in my heart. We talked before in the fact that if I'm unable to forgive, then I'm allowing my enemy to win. I'm, I'm allowing them to influence my attitudes and my heart, and, and uh, whether it's to bring, me, uh, to bring me down or to make me angry. And, and all those are allowing the other to win. So we begin with repentance, recognizing our own sins. Father, forgive me because I'm a sinner as well. Repentance, of course, means not only having sorrow for our own sins, but having a hatred from our own sins. In fact, it's a turning from our, from our sins. Not merely a confession, but a radical turning away. Repentance is far more than simply saying, I'm sorry. It's hating our sins so much that we turn away from them. Forgiveness is an internal act then. And it's one that takes place in the heart. To not forgive, as I mentioned, is to, is to let the offender still rule. To forgive frees, frees us from bitterness. Now again, as we've said before, forgiving does not mean forgetting. Um, it doesn't mean excusing the sin. It doesn't mean ignoring the hurt. And it doesn't necessarily mean that reconciliation will actually take place. Paul and Barnabas separated ways. They were both convinced that they were right. And in a sense, maybe they both were right. And they were so strongly convinced that they were right that they were not willing to give in. Barnabas probably deeply concerned for Mark and what's going to happen to Mark. We cannot abandon him. I can't leave Mark alone. I've got to go with him. Paul was deeply convinced that Mark should not come. It would not be wise or safe to take him. So they agree. Now, they're not going to harbor anger and bitterness and frustration. They're not going to go in their separate ways and go, I'm right, he's wrong. They're simply going to say, you know what, let's agree to disagree and let's go on our way. And they did. And they moved forward. 
Romans 12 says, do not repay anyone evil for evil, verse 17. But be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. See, reconciliation is not always possible. Forgiveness begins here. It begins with my heart, with my repentance, and then it's my responsibility to be at peace with everybody. And then we go forward. Now, sometimes that means confrontation, and confrontation has to, ha- has to happen. Ephesians 4.15 says, speak the truth in love. When we confront, it's not so I can show I'm right and you're wrong. You see, the goal of confrontation is love. And love means that we want the other person to see what's happening or at least understand my side so they can, we can at least come to some uh, 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 place of, of, of disagreement where we're agreeing to disagree. Or if they're in the wrong, I'm going to speak the truth in love so that they can re- repent. Not so I can tell them like it is. I've got to let them know. Because if we do that, then they might not repent. And that's not loving. Sometimes, however, the goal is simply to understand why they did what they did or said what they said. A lot's to be said sometimes for understanding the other side, right? You ever had a, a situation? We've all had it. I know we have. Well, we, we, were, we were convinced that somebody else was wrong. That they did something wrong. They were malicious or, or, or whatever. It was, it was simply wrong. And then we confronted them. And they tell us what they did and why they did it. And we're like, oh, sorry. Because they were fully justified. It was simply my perception of the situation. So what can we learn from Paul and Barnabas? What, what, what do we learn when we, when we don't agree with somebody else? Well, number one, be careful when we're talking to others. There's often going to be many things happening within the large movement of Christianity that you and I, we may not like, and we may not agree with. Whether it's this theological group over here doing this, and this theological group doing this, or that group over there doing that. But be careful about putting them down in front of others. It's easy to do. We've got to be careful. We talk about Baptists and, 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 and the things they do, or Methodists and the things they do, or Catholics and the things they do. And we may not agree with them, and we don't have to agree with them, but as soon as we put them down to make our church look better, or my beliefs look better, I may very well be hindering the faith of someone else. Or I may be hindering someone else from coming to faith. Because if they go, if they're not a Christian, and I just ripped on the Baptists or the Methodists or the Pentecostals or the Catholics, and they're like, I don't know who to believe. I heard this Rob guy, and he said like Presbyterians like the only ones to believe, but then this Baptist friend of mine, he's a really nice guy, and now I'm confused. So in our efforts sometimes to make ourselves look good, we actually are hindering the work of the kingdom. And it may also impact someone else's growth. So here's the bottom line, that's this. I think what we have to consider is the question, how will this impact the kingdom? How will this impact the kingdom? Let me pray. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information on the Determined Truth podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can follow Rob's blog at determinedtruth.com or purchase his books on amazon.com. See you next time.